As the reader, we're confronted with a question simply stated, which are you? Are you willing to receive correction? Are you willing to receive a rebuke? Are you willing to hear it when somebody looks at your life and says, I don't think you're being very wise? This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part six of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, a 12-part study in the book of Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul's text for today continues in the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs, subtitled, A Tale of Two Feasts. In modern times, we may think of a proverb as a wise saying, maybe a familiar phrase from your grandmother like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. However, the biblical Proverbs, all 31 chapters, many of them from incredibly wise King Solomon, are inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3 states it this way, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for correction and training in righteousness. Now the Apostle Paul wrote this statement at a time when Christians only had Old Testament scripture, where the book of Proverbs is contained. So it's best to take these proverbs seriously, including a metaphor of two feasts used to describe two distinct lifestyles, wisdom or folly. Not both, no exceptions. Here's part six of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs. Friends, you need to see the value of this feast. You have to see the beauty of the house, the value of the meal. Not one of us can afford to turn down this invitation. This is not an invite that we can leave pinned to the fridge to which we never RSVP. God has called you to live with excellence. That is how we honor him in the gray areas, how we live skillfully. And most of life is made up of those gray areas. So we have to show up to this meal. Now, what does that look like, practically speaking? I think it means you take time to understand the wisdom that is in, yes, Proverbs, and indeed all of the scriptures. You take time to understand it, and you think through how it intersects with the particulars of your life. You learn what the Proverbs have to say about money, and friendships, and love, and work. You take those principles, and you set them to work in your life. And then I think... It also means that we acknowledge the other sources of godly wisdom that have been put in our life, namely godly parents, friends, counselors, elders. You listen, you submit, you humble yourself to the counsel that's given to you, and you seek to apply it. That is what it looks like to say yes to this invitation. Now, I realize that even as I say that, there will be some here who won't respond in such a way. And that is why Solomon gives us the middle portion of this poem, moving on to the second point now. I've called it the reader's interlude. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. This 
portion of the poem seems to interrupt the flow, the word picture of the feast that is being painted for us. Some critical scholars would say, you know, this portion was just added later. It was written by somebody else. It doesn't really fit. You need to understand the nature of Hebrew poetry. That is what we're reading here. When you read narrative, think of Old Testament narrative, the connections between one verse and the next are often made explicit for us. So as the reader, we are led on. We're told uh, Moses did this, and then he did this, and because of this, he did this. So the connections between thoughts are always explained. When you get to Old Testament poetry, it is inherently by nature quite terse which means as you move from one thought to the next, the connection is not necessarily explained. That's why the Proverbs read the way they do. The mistake would be to assume that there is no relationship between them. I think here there is a relationship. Solomon is pausing before he introduces us to the Feast of Lady Folly. He pauses. He turns the camera on the audience, the reader, he turns the camera on you and on me, and he provokes us to examine ourselves, to consider the state of our hearts and whether we would indeed receive the invitation just issued by Lady Wisdom. The thought conveyed in verses 7 through 12 is very simple. The thought is that to invite a scoffer is a waste because they do not fear the Lord. The scoffer or the mocker will not humble himself. He will laugh. He will ridicule anybody that seeks to speak wisdom into their life. Indeed, it says in verse 7 that he would even respond with abuse, be it verbal or physical. Do not reprove a scoffer, verse 8. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. By contrast, the wise man will receive the wisdom you seek to speak into his life. If you give that wise man instruction, verse 9, he'll grow in wisdom. He'll increase in learning. And so, again, as the reader, we're confronted with a question simply stated, which are you? Are you willing to receive correction? Are you willing to receive a rebuke? Are you willing to hear it when somebody looks at your life and says, I don't think you're being very wise? You need to grow in this area. Now, we could ask the question at an even more fundamental level than that, because that is where the text drives us. Verse 10, do you fear the Lord? Ultimately, that is the difference between the scoffer and the wise man. Solomon boils it down to a fear of the Lord, to knowledge of the Holy One. The fear of the Lord, most simply put, is obedience to his revealed will. Now, the reason I argued it that way, it is a sense of awe. It is a sense of reverence. It is an acknowledgement of his character. All of those things are true, but it's not merely those things. It has to go beyond that. When you look at this phrase, the fear of the Lord, elsewhere, especially in the wisdom literature and in the Psalms, it is often in parallel with another phrase that talks about obedience, an active pursuit of submission to the law. So Job 28, 28, you don't have to turn there. The thought is that the fear of the Lord 
is parallel with turning away from evil. The two sit together. You turn away from evil and you fear the Lord. The implication is that to fear the Lord is to obey his will. Psalm 19, another example where we read about the law of the Lord being perfect, the precepts of the Lord being right, the commandments of the Lord being pure, and then the fear of the Lord as clean. So the fear of the Lord sits in parallel with all of these other terms, all of which imply action on the part of the one who fears. It's not simply enough to acknowledge his character, but you respond to that acknowledgement. You understand how awesome God is and how small we are and how we have a responsibility to do what he says. We recognize his character. We humble ourselves before him. We express trust in his decrees. And then we set our heart to obey. Here again, Solomon shows us that there's a reward for fearing the Lord. Verse 11, for by me, your days will be multiplied. Your years will be added to your life. This may be talking about physical life. Life tends to go better if you live by God's standards. He tells you how the world operates. It's been said if you break the laws of the Lord or even the laws of physics, you don't really break them, but rather they break you. So the idea is life will go well for you if you obey his law. Or it may be spiritual. Again, there's a, there's a very forward-looking nature to the book of Proverbs. It does have that last day constantly in view. If you fear the Lord and live a life of obedience, at the end, you will step into life everlasting. And you need to understand that in as much as there will be benefit for those around you, if you live a, a life of excellence, ultimately, it's you that bear the consequences of your choices. Verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now think about the importance of this interlude. The house has been built. It is beautiful. The invitation has been issued without exception. There are some for whom this invitation will be wasted. It will prompt abuse, anger, hatred. Those are they who do not know the Holy One. They will receive an invitation as if they have received an invitation to dine with the king. And rather than responding in excitement, anticipation, they just get annoyed. They had another piece of mail to open. Why? Because they don't know the king's name. They don't know his character. They have never studied his ways. The king is a stranger to them. And so when the invite comes, it means absolutely nothing. There are some here this evening who do not know the Holy One. And though you may live a life that outwardly looks very wise, internally you are a fool. The only way to gain access to a knowledge of the Holy One is to embrace the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about the role of Proverbs in the canon of Scripture, how it is we can truly access the wisdom that is set forth here. We must always be driven to the gospel. 
we understand that Christ was our example in terms of wisdom, the New Testament tells us wisdom is, is wrapped up in him. He's the perfect embodiment of wisdom, but he is our savior as well. If you don't know Christ, you do not fear the Lord in the sense that Proverbs talks about it. You don't have a knowledge of the Holy One in the way that Proverbs talks about it. And so however well you might hide your response on the outside when the invitation to pursue wisdom comes, the Word of God tells us you will not choose to show up to the Feast of Lady Wisdom. Listen to the message of the gospel and embrace it. That you are not right with a holy God and you need to be reconciled with him. And there is nothing in and of yourself that you can do to fix the greatest of all your problems. The only solution is outside of you in a man named Jesus Christ. And as he lived a perfect life, a life of true excellence, and then died a sinner's death on a cross and rose again three days later, he made a way for you to come to God. He made a way for you to be made right with him, to know communion with the Holy One. And it is only when you embrace that man and his message that you begin on the path of true wisdom. So please allow this interlude to have its full effect, to, to do its job, which is just to pause for a moment and examine yourself to know which character in this narrative you truly are. Let us move on to the third section, the Feast of Folly. A good reading strategy as we move into the third part is to compare with the first invitation to acknowledge where the differences are and the similarities are. And that in itself explains the theology that undergirds the way of folly. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is loud. She is turbulent. She is seductive. She lacks grace. She lacks dignity. She's neither shrewd nor discreet. She's brash. She herself is gullible. She has made herself at home in a position of ignorance. And notice verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. The obvious difference being she hasn't built anything. There's been no discipline, diligence, expertise exercise on her part. She simply sits at the door of her house. She hasn't prepared the meat. She hasn't set the table. She hasn't mixed the wine. There is no sense of industry here. And then with audacity, she sits herself on the highest place in town. Literally, the word seat here is the word throne. It's interesting to note that in ancient times, chairs were not common. It's only very recently in human history that chairs became the accepted norm. The commoners, even back in Elizabethan times, were sat on benches. Noble men and women might have a cushion to sit on. There was typically just one chair, and it was a privilege to be the one person that sat on that chair. 
Now, one person that would always be given a chair is the teacher or the professor. That is why even today in a university setting, we talk about the professor who holds the chair of mathematics or who holds the seat of chemistry. Lady Folly, who is brash and loud and lacking dignity, who lacks expertise and achievement, presents herself on a chair, on the highest of all seats, such arrogance, and she calls out, specifically, she calls out to those who pass by, verse 15. Notice they're going by. They had no intention of going to that house. They were going on their way. She calls out to distract them, which is exactly why the pursuit of wisdom and excellence is so difficult. It is not easy. Very few people leave their home and intend to end up at this second feast. Very few set out with the intention of eating with Lady Folly. Think about Solomon. How ironic that Solomon wrote these words, a man equipped with more wisdom than anybody else in the nation. He was better positioned to make good choices than anybody else. He writes these words, and then at some point in his life, he makes one bad decision to marry many foreign women, and he puts his life on an altogether different track. And it may be as little as a glance or a thought or a look. And with that, it's enough. Lady Folly then seizes upon the opportunity and she issues her invite. Look with me, verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Have we not heard those words before? They sound so familiar. Look up at verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It is no accident that Lady Folly gives exactly the same invitation as Lady Wisdom. It's repeated verbatim. Folly seeks not just to distract, but she is very deceptive. Folly doesn't engage with wisdom in broad daylight because she knows she will lose. She doesn't seek to, to enter into a head-to-head -head battle with wisdom. She is far more deceptive. She is sly and sneaky. She imitates the cry with the same words. She will often disguise herself as wisdom so as to set a trap. And look at the offer she makes. To him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And this is a half-truth. It is not altogether wrong what she's saying. She's appealing to the senses, to the, to the flesh, you might say. Come and drink my water because it will taste good. Eat my bread in secret and you will enjoy it. And that's partly true. You will enjoy it. But you will enjoy it for a season. You will only ever enjoy the pursuit of folly for a season. 
the whole truth comes out in the next verse in the commentary that Solomon gives us. As you dine at Lady Folly's house, understand there will come a time when you look up and you peer into the back room. And when you do that, you will see a pile of bodies. You will see the victims that went before you. And they would cry out, except they are dead. And you understand at that moment the trap that you have been led into. They have perished. They did not find wisdom that leads to life, but they found folly which leads to destruction. Our pastor has often said that one of the greatest needs in the church today is that of discernment. Discernment to know what is wisdom and what is folly. Because so often folly will look very similar. It will present itself in the same way that wisdom does. And we as God's people must know the difference. The aim of this series has been to provide an exhortation to strive for excellence. But that can only occur when you make yourself at home with biblical principles for living well. When you know what the Bible teaches about everyday issues such as money and speech and friendship, leadership and government. The Proverbs are a guide for life in a complex and dangerous world. Learn the voice of folly and avoid it with your whole might. Learn to delight in the path of wisdom and pursue it with all that you have. Let's pray to close. Father, we are grateful that you have been so gracious to us to give us wisdom. You've revealed to us the truth of the gospel. You've revealed to us doctrine by which we understand the cross and the theology that flows out of it and you have given us skill for living. Help us to be faithful to the task of pursuing wisdom. Help us to be those that strive for excellence. I pray that wherever you have us in life, whatever the particular responsibilities that we have, our lives will be characterized by excellence because it is the good path to walk because we have the discernment to know the difference between wisdom and folly, because we understand that this honors you to live in the gray areas in such a way that we are making good choices. Help us to pursue that task, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Lady Wisdom's house has been built, and it is beautiful. But sadly, many reject the invitation to this feast. Why? Through pride, anger, or because they preferred the invitation to the other feast, the Feast of Folly. Remember, as Pastor has taught, our God is the personification of excellence, and we come to Him through His Son and this pursuit of excellence will always involve turning away from something. Some have no inclination of going to the house of folly, 
but passing by it is very difficult and she is very deceptive. If you'd like to learn more about following God in wise living, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org, select broadcasts. There you'll find an abundance of scriptural wisdom in our free audio archives. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. And as we approach the weekend, on Sunday, if you don't have a home church, come worship with us. Sundays at 10.30 a.m., the church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Tomorrow, we continue in our series. It's part seven of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, and we'll have an interview with Pastor Paul Twist on spiritual wisdom. Hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.